I hope I got the microphone turned on. I ain't 100% sure, but I figured somebody would say something if I didn't. Uh, thankful to be here this morning. Thank you all for letting me come. I always love coming here because the more I come, the more I get to know more people. Y'all got some crazy people go to church here. I just want to tell y'all that right now. But I love all of them. They've been good to me and uh, had a lot of fun over the years getting to know everybody and look forward to getting to know more of you. Um, I, I wanted to... This has nothing, what I'm about to share with you has nothing to do with the message, okay? <laughs> but I was so excited. I, I had a birthday Friday, and uh, 47, which uh, it, I had to do the math. I couldn't remember how old I was. But I was so uh, excited about one thing that I got, and it didn't come from my wife, and it didn't come from my kids. It come from a, uh, we have a store, and we have a barbershop in the back, and the brother that runs the barbershop in the back made this for me. And it is the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I brought it for y'all to see. Now, I just want to warn you, you're going to want one, okay? Now, I don't know what in the world you're going to, where you're going to get one, but this thing right here is out of this world. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that tail and everything. Now, if it's all right with y'all, I'm just going to preach in this <laughs> this morning. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I want to tell you right now, that thing get hot in a hurry. And I'll tell you another thing about it. My dog hates it. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Hey, I brought her home last night, and she's a little multi-poo, and I'm showing it to her, and she's looking all concerned at me. She said, I, I don't know if she thinks I'm going to make her into a hat. I don't know what she's thinking, but anyway, I want y'all to be a part of that because I was so excited about it. That's probably the greatest gift I think I've ever gotten is that old hat right there. But uh, I uh, am thankful to be here this morning, and uh, I'm going to be sharing in Luke chapter 9, so if you want to kind of turn over there, we'll get there here in just a few minutes. Uh, but as I get older, uh, I'm thankful for what I got to experience growing up and, and look forward to what God has in store. You know, I remember when I was, uh, when I was the age, some of these guys in the back, when I was a young teenager and before that, and you'd hear older people. I feel like I'm becoming one of the older people now. You'd hear the, the older people talking about, yeah, I walked to school both ways uphill in the snow, hip. Y'all remember stories like that? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, have nothing to eat but dirt, you know, and stuff. You know, there's all these crazy outlandish stories, and it's like, was it really that bad? And now my stories is stuff like this. I mean, we didn't have no internet, you know, <laughs> like, or we didn't have no cell phones, or, you know, I remember, I can remember when my grandma got her first microwave. Y'all remember when we get your first microwave? No, y'all had it that long. Okay, but my grandma, when she got her first microwave, about burnt the house to the ground because she didn't know you couldn't put aluminum foil in it. <laughs> Sparks and carrying on and all that stuff. I remember not having cable TV. I remember having four, three, four channels. Y'all remember that? I ain't that old, am I? I remember not having remote control. I remember being the remote control. <laughs> so, you know, and then y'all guys, I don't know what y'all stories, y'all young people, what y'all stories be when y'all get older, but just look forward to it and all be wonderful. All right, I want to share with you, like I said this morning, from Luke chapter 9, and um, I want to, I, I got a picture I sent to him, I don't know if they got it, I want to talk about this for a few, okay, good, that, that'll work, I'm going to talk about that before we get to Luke chapter 9, but before we get started, let's pray, how about that, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day you blessed us with, thank you for the opportunity to be at this church, thank you for this church, thank you for the pastor who I dearly love and his family, pray God that you will, um, moving our hearts this morning 
God, that you will uh, indwell this place, you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit, and you'll focus our attention on you. Pray, God, that you'll uh, be honored and glorified through your word this morning. Pray, Lord, that you will uh, capture our heart's attention through your Holy Spirit, that you will help us grow more like you, and you'll give us wisdom that we need that we can be salt and light to a lost and dying world. And let's call this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, what to share with y'all, and this is a message I preached uh, a couple of years ago, and it's always something that really uh, is something I think is is good for us to focus on and think about uh, because we're living in a changing world. Y'all realize that, don't you? And, and it's not changing for the better. It is in some ways, but in a lot of ways it's not from a spiritual point of view. And... Um, this verse, I think, gives us a lot to think about before we get to Luke chapter 9. In Matthew 7, very familiar. You've heard of the narrow and the wide gates, but let me just read it for you. It says, <clears throat> Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. All right, so... I think pictures are good. So that's why I found this picture, and I emailed it to him. I said, send him a couple of them. I said, pick whichever one looks the best. But you get a picture here of two gates, right? It says one is wide, and it's easy. See the paved road heading to the right there? Wide and easy, but it leads to destruction. See how it ends up there, and it just kind of goes off the cliff? And it says the other one is narrow, and it's difficult, and it leads to life. It, it also says that many will find the wide gate, but only few find the narrow gate. Okay, so there's a lot of things that we can gather from this. The one thing I want you to start with in thinking about this, this is not talking about lost people versus saved people. Because this, this passage in Matthew chapter 7 is in the context of a spiritual conversation. It has nothing to do with, all right, Wide is the gate, and many the enter it, and they're all going to hell, and that's just the world. And then there's the gate, and that goes to life, and that's Christians. Now, this is not talking about Christianity versus paganism, Christianity versus lostness. This is talking about truth faith versus false faith. True faith versus false faith. And what it's talking about, it's talking about there's a lot of truth out there that's not really truth at all. And it's, it's guiding a lot of people down the wrong path. And they think that they're going the right way. But in the end, it leads to destruction. But the true faith is very narrow and it's very difficult. And only a few find it. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that, you know, that should get our attention because I'm sure you're like me. I want everybody to go to heaven. Anybody, how about y'all? How many of y'all like, I want everybody to go to heaven, right? But the truth is, not everybody going to heaven. Not everybody going to heaven. The, the, the truth is, is very few, are, according to this passage, it says, narrow is the gate, and few, enter, and it's difficult, and few find it. And it says that broad is the gate, and many enter by it. So now we're talking about, like I said, we're talking about spiritualness. We're not talking about lost versus saved. We're talking about a, a true faith and a false faith. This is all a spiritual thing. This whole passage of scripture this illustration is about people that think that I'm in but they really ain't in that's not counting the people that says I don't have nothing to do with any faith I was reading this statistic I pulled up on my phone 
and I'm probably going to have to put these on. I can't get in the way. I can't read worth a flip or anything. Uh, but I was looking uh, at this article this week, and it was talking about how that the spiritual or religious landscape in America has changed. Listen to this. It says, the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. Now, here's the deal. That's down 12%. So when they asked this, they did the same survey 10 years ago, it was like 78% said that, yeah, I'm a Christian. Now it's down to 65%. And then meanwhile, the religious affiliation, uh, the, <coughs> the religiously unaffiliated share of the population consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26%. And that's up from 17%. So see, what's happening is, is Christianity's going down and people that are not believing in, in anything is going up. So we're, we're having a problem going on in our country today. We have more and more people that aren't coming to church. I don't know about how it is around here, but where I live down in Walker County, Alabama, which is a whole other world down there, but where I live down there, churches aren't growing. They're not. Churches, there's two or three churches that are kind of growing a little bit, but all over our county, for the most part, churches are in decline. And it's not, it's not getting any better, and it's getting harder and harder and harder to reach people. And you're getting more and more people. I remember when I was growing up, it's like everybody went to church, you know? And, and if you didn't go to church, you at least went on Christmas and, and, and uh, Easter, right? Now it's getting to where, like, people just, it's not a priority. People don't care, you know? When I was growing up, if you didn't go to church, you didn't get to eat lunch at Mama's house, right? <laughs> so everybody went to church because we got to get there where we can get to Mama's house and eat lunch. People don't do that anymore. And so church attendance and people that claim to be Christians is on the decline. So what's happening? Now, now here's another thing that's scary. Is there are more and more people that are embracing false religions, which is what this illustration is all about, which means there's more and more people headed out that wide gate, that wide road that leads to destruction. I was doing a mission trip a few years ago in New Orleans, and I met a couple of guys that were Mormons. Any of y'all ever had any interaction with Mormons? They ever come around here? They come by and see me every now and then, and I enjoy it. I love sitting down and talking to them, trying to have a conversation with them, trying to share with them. Uh, but here's the honest truth. I can talk y'all out of being a Christian quicker than I can talk them out of being a Mormon. I'm just telling that right now. They are committed. And when I think about our Christianity in America today and, and, and how things are going, I'm like, you know, why aren't we com as committed to our true faith as so many people are co committed to their false faith? And I got to talking to these guys and doing a little research and finding out, you know, what does it take to be com a committed Mormon? I don't know if you knew that. I'm going to share some of the things with you uh, about that. D did you know that almost every Mormon teenager, when they graduate from school, uh, goes into the mission field? That's why you see them out everywhere. They usually go in pairs of two, and it's a 18-month to 24-month commitment. And almost all of them do it. There's very few that don't do it. Almost all Mormon kids, when they graduate high school, they head out. Now, I know there's several of y'all been on mission trips with me, but ain't none of y'all done no two-year deal. These brothers, they go out 18 months to two years. And it's, that's how big of a commitment it is. Now, listen to this. It's not a cheap commitment. It costs them. They don't get paid to do this. A Mormon 
kid that decides I'm going to go out and be a missionary for the two years, which almost all of them do, it's about a $400 a month commitment. So they're like, I'm in at $400 a month. That's what they got to pay to pay their expenses for doing this. The Mormon church don't pay for them to do this. They have to come out of pocket. To, which you, you, you factor that out of 24 months, that's almost $10,000 that they've invested. So now they're invested in their time. They're invested in their money. Uh, they don't get to choose where they're going to go. You'd be like, well, that'd be great if I was going to, you know, Puerto Rico or, you know, the Cayman Islands. No, they don't get to pick. They don't get the, it's just picked for them. They don't get to choose where they go. I feel sorry for them brothers come around me. I'm like, you chose, you got, you got picked for Jasper, Alabama. That's what, <laughs> sorry about that. It wasn't the greatest option, but yeah, here you are. Um, but here's the other thing. Their day starts at 6.30 every morning with one hour of personal Bible study followed by one hour of group Bible study. You know, they're in pairs, so they pair together. And they have Bible. So they have an hour of Bible study every morning. Hour of Bible study by themselves. Then an hour of Bible study with their, with their partner there. Then their day goes from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Every day. You think you just sit them out there on the streets every so often. That's it. No. 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Every day but Monday. Monday, they don't even call it their off day. Monday is their day of preparation. There's nothing to do their laundry and you know, whatever. But they, they, they're not really off on Monday. They just take that day to get ready for the next six days. Here's some other stuff that I, found, I thought was crazy. And if I asked, you know, if I went to the Baptist church and asked for this kind of commitment, y'all all run me off. And all the other ones would too. It says they have very little contact with their family during this 18-month, 24-month period of time. They get to do a few letters each month. They get to make two phone calls. Two phone calls a year. Once at Christmas... And one's Mother's Day. I guess daddies don't matter that much, but they <laughs> Christmas and Mother's Day. That's the only two phone calls they get to make home. They can write letters, but that's the only two phone calls that they make. On average, only 25 to 35% of Mormon missionaries will leave their faith after college. So what that's saying is these people that commit to this little missionary journey that do this two years, there's still people that's like, okay, I did it, I'm out, I'm, I'm done with it, about 25 to 35%. In contrast to Christian teenagers, where the statistics show that 70 to 85% walk away from the faith. Now see, that should all be stuff that just kind of alarms us a little bit, right? It's like, we've got the truth. You know, I know it's narrow and I know it's difficult, but we have truth, Right? Y'all all claim to know the truth, don't you? We all claim to know truth. And then there's these other people that we know by the study of God's word that it's not truth, but they're so much more committed to it than we are to the truth. And the, and the way leads to destruction. So what's happening? What's happening in our country? Why is church attendance on a decline? Why is atheism and the, the nuns, not N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S, on the rise. Why is that? Why are people walking away from the faith? I, was, uh, I remember several years ago I was doing mission work in England, and I remember going to England, and they have beautiful churches. That's where Europe and England's where the, the, the Protestant Reformation began and spread throughout the world. So there's huge, beautiful churches there, but they're not churches anymore. They're bookstores, coffee shops, restaurants, hotels. Muslim mosque, everything but a church. 
And I remember going over there and trying to do mission work and trying to be out on the streets and trying to share with people the truth of the gospel and having people just kind of just blow by me or not want to talk to me. And I look down the street and I see the Muslims out doing evangelism just like I am and having a whole lot better response than I am. And I remember thinking, man, if things don't change around America, we're going to be right here in about 15, 20 years. And now I look around and I'm like, I think we're here. Because things aren't getting any better. Things are getting worse. And unless we wake up as the church and do something about it, it ain't going to get any better. It's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. I go to a lot of churches, and you know what I say to a lot of churches? Old people. And again, I love old people. One of my, one of my life's goals is to be one. I want to be old people, you know. And so it's not nothing wrong with old people, but where are the younger people at? Where are they at? And, and, and if, if nothing changes, I'm afraid that that pattern that we're seeing where the decline of church attendance and the rise of atheism and people that just don't care is on the rise. And that narrow gate is getting narrow and narrow and narrow. And that broad gate for the ones that want to... I mean, it's, it's not just Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism, all those false religions. It's crept into the church. There's churches that teach things that they call themselves churches, but they don't teach things that would lead you that way. They teach things that will lead you this way. So we just got to be very discerning and, and, and understand what's going on and, and think about, okay, well, what can I do to change this? All right, so now we're going to look. Luke chapter 9. Y'all in Luke chapter 9, we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to kind of walk through it a few minutes, and uh, we won't be very long, and uh, we'll see what God's Word says. Luke chapter 9, very familiar passage, verses 18 through uh through 26 let's uh let's see what it says it says now it happened that as he was praying alone and the disciples were with him and he asked them who do the crowd say that i am and they answered john the baptist but others say elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen then he said to them but who do you say that i am and peter answered the christ of god and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no this to no one the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? All right, so here we got a passage where Jesus is with his disciples. It's getting toward the end of his earthly ministry. This is right after you look in, in Luke. This is right after he feeds the 5,000. So this is kind of a the kind of the climactic part of his earthly ministry. And, and people are knowing, you know, they're knowing who that Jesus is around. He's done all this stuff. He's fed the 5,000, done all these miracles and all these things, and, and Jesus has kind of retreated now, and he's got his guys with him, his disciples, and he's gathered them up, and he asks them a, a question, because what he's trying to do is, is bring them to a call of true discipleship, and, and it starts with knowing who Jesus is. And so he said, who do the crowds say that at? Now imagine, let's try, I know it's hard, but it, context is so important. Let's try to put ourselves in that situation over in, 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 in Israel where they're there, 
they've been walking around, they've had all these big crusade type events where they've had all these people that have come and they've fed people and they've done miracles, they've done all this teaching and all this stuff's going on. And these guys have lived it over and over and over again. But they're still kind of, some of, most of them are still kind of struggling a little bit with who Jesus really is. And, and so the crowds, they're just kind of there to get whatever they can get and see the show and see what's going on. But Jesus pulls his faithful few aside. And just imagine if you've left everything, you're one of the disciples, you leave everything, you left your family, you left your career, you left everything to follow this man that you really don't know a whole lot about. You've been following him around for a few years and learning some stuff. And he gathers you in, and he says, hey, who do the crowd say I am? And that's a, that's a very relevant question for the day. And I would challenge you that when you're out and about at school, at work, and Walmart, out in the community, wherever you're at, ask people from time to time, who's Jesus to you? What, what do you think about Jesus? Who, who, who is Jesus to you? Because that's what he asked them. Who do the crowds say that I am? Who, what, I mean, they know me as, you know, Jesus, but who do they say that I who do they say that I am? And, and they answered him. And they told him, they said, some say John the Baptist, you know. Some of the people that, you know, we're doing all this stuff out here, and some of them say that you're John the Baptist. Which, ironically, John the Baptist had been with Jesus, but been recently killed, and they thought, well, his spirit has come upon this Jesus guy. And it says, but others say Elijah, which is like Old Testament super prophet, right? And so they say, okay, Elijah's been reincarnated into you, Jesus. So they say, well, you're just a prophet, Old Testament prophet, who, by the way, was supposed to be the one to kind of announce the Messiah coming. Because the thing is, is most of the crowd, most of the religious people didn't believe Jesus who was, was who he said that he was, which was the Messiah, the, the Son of God. And he said, but others say that you're one of the prophets of old. You're just another Old Testament prophet. Maybe you're Jeremiah. Maybe you're Isaiah, maybe you're one of the other prophets. And, and that's who they say that you are. And then Jesus turns it from the crowd, from the general population, from the people that are taking that wide gate to the people that don't care at all. And he brings it on in focus and he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's a very relevant question for each one of y'all that are sitting in here this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because that will have a whole lot to do with why you're even here. I mean, are you here just because that's the thing to do? You're here because mom and daddy here, so you here. You're here because I was brought up doing this, so I just come. Are you doing here because, like, when I was younger, if I don't show up, I don't get to go eat lunch, and so I showed up because I like to eat, and so I'm here. What are you here for? Who do you say that Jesus is? Why, why is this Christianity important to you? What, what is this all about for you personally? And Jesus focuses it in and says, who do you say that I am? And, and, and they had the right answer. I mean, and, and there's a lot of people, maybe people here that, that know the right answer, but do you really, really know the right answer? And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Christ of God. Basically said, you are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You are the Son of God that we've been, that we've been waiting for. You are this person. And then Jesus kind of calms him down a little bit, and he says, all right, look, here, here's the deal. Don't tell nobody right now because it's not time, but he says, let me let you in on what your Messiah is. You think that this, so, this is so glamorous that you got to uh, follow me around for this period of time and do all this stuff? Let me, let me tell you what it, what it means to be the Messiah. It says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed 
and on the third day rise. Can you imagine if you've been following this guy? He's the leader. You're out here because of him. And he says, hey, I just want to give you all a heads up. Yep, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. But here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to be captured. I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to die. And they're like, okay, well, if we're following him, they start doing that, you know, in their mind, they're thinking, well, if I'm following him, and he's good, that's where he's headed, then where am I headed? And he's going to get into that here in a minute. But he's letting them know, that's who I am. Yes, I am the Messiah, but the Messiah has come for one purpose, and that's to die for the sins of the world. And he's letting them know. And there's a call to this. It's more than just a, it's more than just a, hey, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is great and wonderful. Who is Jesus to you personally? And for them, is you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. So now Jesus is going to focus it in just a little bit more. And the next thing we're going to say, not just the call, we're going to say the cost of discipleship. Verse 23, we're going to see what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. And here's where I think we mess up because I think all in all goodness and trying to reach as many people, because like I told you a minute ago, we all want everybody to go to heaven, right? But we've got to be careful that we tell people the truth, Right? You just don't want to go out and give them a gospel that is convenient or a gospel that is easy or a gospel that tends to lead to a, a, a better way or easier way to make a decision for Christ, right? Because if we're not careful, when we go out to try to proclaim truth to people, instead of pointing them to that way that's narrow and difficult, we'll inadvertently point people to the other way that's wide. And, and leads to death and destruction. You're like, oh, we'd never do that. Oh, yes, we would too. In, in, an, in an attempt to make the gospel so all-inclusive, so wide and welcoming to everybody, if we're not careful, we'll miss it so bad that instead of making it, hey, this is what the gospel's all about, to, hey, here's what the gospel's all about. And in an intent to get people to know the truth, we just open up the wide gate and say, come on in. And, and, and I, I, I'll give you some, we're, we're going to dive into that, and I'll give you some examples of that here in a minute. But following Christ is going to cost you something, and Jesus is going to get into what it's going to cost them. It's not, it's not easy to follow Christ, and we should be honest with people when we're sharing the gospel with people. We should say, hey, I want you to know something. When you follow Christ, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to be hard. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to have people that ain't going to like you anymore. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. We live in a culture in America, and I believe that now we're reaping the fruits of the wide gospel we've been preaching for a long time, that we're reaping the benefits of that in that church attendance is on decline, atheism and agnostics and all that stuff's on the rise. All this stuff is, is, is kind of flip-flopping on us. And we're like, well, what's going on? I'm telling you what's going on. We're reaping the fruit of just saying, all you got to do is check, 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 check. All you got to do is come to church. All you got to do is come to the front. All you got to do is raise your hand. All you got to do is cry a little bit. All you got to do is say this prayer. All you got to do is get a little wet, right? Now, I'm not saying the happens here. I know Israel. I know he preaches truth hard. He, he gets on the gospel. I'm talking about church in America as general, in general. We, we've, in an attempt to be so all-inclusive, we've preached a gospel message that's not really the gospel at all. And it's not centered on Christ, but it's centered on self. 
And so we got to be real careful the kind of message that we preach. This is what Jesus preached. This is what Jesus said when he says, hey, this is what's going to cost you. Verse 23, notice he don't say stuff like, you got a me-shaped hole in your heart that only I can feel. And if you'll say this prayer and really, really mean it, you know. <laughs> he don't say stuff like that, does he? All you got to do is bow your head and raise your hands and cry a little bit. He, what does Jesus say? Verse 23, what does Jesus say? And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, all right, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be in. I want that narrow gate. I want that. I know it's difficult, but I want that because the wide, that one goes to destruction. I don't want that one. All right, Jesus, what is it going to cost? If anyone would come after me, this is what he says. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And you hear that, and you're like, you know, we've read it so many times, you, don't, you just blow it off. You don't even think about it. All right, yeah, take, take up my cross daily and follow Yeah, I'll wear a cross. And you think, oh, that's all it's all about. No, no, no. you got to, again, put yourself in his, uh, in, in his time, in the, in the context of where they're at, and he's talking to these brothers right here. These 12 guys have left everything to follow him, and he says, you want to follow me? You think I'm the Messiah? Listen, I'm telling you what's fixing to happen to me. This is what's going to happen to you if you follow me. He said, you must deny yourself, self-denial, self-denial. That doesn't sound difficult, but we live in a culture where it's all about self, right? We even got a term for it. It's called taking a what? <laughs> it's all about self, which that's just weird to me. You know, it's just like I'm all the time taking pictures of myself. But, I mean, it's like we live in a culture that's all about self. It's all about me. I'm number one. You're the, you know, and if we're not careful as parents, we'll raise our kids. You're the center of the universe, and everybody gets a trophy and all that kind of stuff. I remember when my son was in the upward basketball. Y'all do upward basketball around here? My son was in upward basketball. Basically, the whole motto for upward basketball is every child's a winner, okay? And that sounds nice and everything, but I'd take you little six-year-old boys. we get together before the basketball game. i say, I don't care what upward tells you. <laughs> It's going to be somebody lose today, and it ain't going to be us, all right? You know, every child ain't no winner. Some of y'all going to be a bunch of losers, and it ain't going to be, you know, and, and I just tried to put that in them that, you know, we're not always going to win, right? But it's all about, we live in a world that's all about self. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow after me, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself, which means it's not about you. Matter of fact, you're the last on the list when you're following Jesus. Not about you. Then Jesus said, not only must you deny yourself, we're almost finished. Not only must you deny yourself, you must take up your cross daily. Now look, I don't know what you think about when you hear that, but it is literally what he's talking about. If you were there, he said, I'm going to die on a cross. You're going to follow me? You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me which means it would cost you everything. could even cost you your entire life. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that you have to die for your faith. What I'm saying is, are you willing to? Is it that serious for you that you're willing to take up a cross and go die for your faith? Is it that important? Or if it come down to it and it got that serious, you'd be like, I'm out. Put me on the wide road. Put me over here on this... I, I wasn't that committed. Yeah, I do the vacation Bible school thing, and I make Kool-Aid and all that, but I ain't that committed. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow after me, you have to be willing to take up your cross daily. You have to be willing to suffer. And, and I'm not talking about 
superficial things like, well, my cross I take up daily as my mother-in-law. Y'all understand? No, it's not that. It's like I'm willing to die for my faith. My faith is so important to me that I'm so laser focused on it that everything else is unimportant compared to what Jesus has commanded me to do, and I'm going to follow after him. But we must be willing to suffer. In Jesus' day, it's estimated over 30,000 people died on a cross. You know, it wasn't just him and those two guys that died on the cross. That was normal execution. When he told his disciples, you're going to have to take up your cross daily, they knew exactly what that was because they seen it all the time. That was like saying, hey, sign the death sentence because if you're going to follow after me, it's going to cost you everything. And at the end, it did cost almost all of them everything, even their whole life. But are you willing to die for your faith? Are you willing to put self last? Are you willing to die for your faith? And then he says, he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me, which means we're going to submit our lives to Christ. Not about me, all about him. Submitting to him, which means basically, I didn't bring mine up here, but you get the keys to my life, you get the checkbook to my life, I'm submitting my life. It's not, it's not about me making decisions. Lord, it's about whatever you would have for me. That's a hard thing to do. Deny self. You're not going to submit until you've denied yourself. You're not going to submit until you're willing to suffer because you may be asked to suffer. You may be put in situations where you do experience suffering. And then you have to submit your life, totally submit your life to Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow after him. You know, when we think about what we hear so many times, you know, and, and I want to I share an illustration with you here in a minute to help you get a better understanding of it. Like I said, if we're not careful, we'll try to so make everything so bold and, 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 and big and all-inclusive that we'll simplify to the gospel to the point to where we miss it. And I'll give you a, a prime example as we're getting close to being finished here. We use this verse a lot. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart one believes uh, and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Y'all heard that verse before, right? And, and this is how I've heard that verse explained. All that means is you got to say this prayer and really, really mean it. That's it. That's all the explanation I've ever got for that my whole life. You just got to get people whipped up into emotional frenzy and then when you get their emotions all raw then you say okay now all you have to do say this prayer really really mean it confess with your mouth believe in your heart but what did it say what did it say it says confess with your mouth that Jesus is what Lord now how, what does that mean what does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? It all goes back to this submission thing. Because to confess, to, if I just was to confess that Scotty is Lord of my life, right? I ain't going to do that because he'd be mean to me. But if I was going to do that and I was going to be like, Scotty is Lord, that's a whole lot bigger deal than me just saying a little, you know, some kind of token prayer or crying a little bit or whatever. If I say, I declare to all of you, and within the sound of my voice, and you tell everybody else, this man over here is Lord, Lord of my life. What does that mean? That means he is in control. He says, jump, I got to jump. He says, do this, I got to do it. 
Whatever he says goes, right? He's in complete. He has the checkbook. He has the keys. He has complete control over my life. I have to do everything he, he says. That's a little bit more of a commitment than just said a prayer, right? It's a whole lot deeper commitment. It's saying, all right, I've placed my life in his hands, and I trust completely that he's going to take care of me. That's what it means. It's not just I said some words, and that's it. It's a lot deeper commitment than that. I'll give you an example. When you see that in Scripture, it's talking about Jesus as Lord. Again, put yourself in context of where they're at. These people that heard this verse, this passage, are in Rome. What are they doing to Christians in Rome at this time in the first century? Killing them, right? Killing all of them. They're like feeding them to the lions, all, the, all that stuff's going on. And so let me ask you another question. Who, who is Lord in Rome in the first century? Caesar is Lord, right? Now imagine, because I ain't saying this will happen, but it could have very well happened. Imagine you're out minding your own business in the first century Rome. You get this letter from Paul, and he's saying, okay, we've got to confess Jesus is Lord, right? We've got to openly confess he's Lord and, and, and believe in him. All right, I'm a Christian. I'm following, I'm following Jesus, first century Rome. I'm out minding my own business. I'm working on the house, whatever I'm doing. And the, the Roman soldiers come walking down the street, pulling an altar behind them. It could have happened. Pulling an altar behind them. And they got an altar to Caesar that they're pulling behind them. And they say, hey, brother, uh, come over here. Uh, we need you to worship Caesar because Caesar's Lord. And, and you're there, and you're a Christian, and you're like, well, no, I, Jesus is Lord, and that's, that's who I follow. And, and you've got Roman soldiers, all they're good at is killing people. They come up, and they say, all right, it's time to confess Caesar is Lord. And one by one, your buddies go over there, and they sprinkle the incense. They say, Jesus is Lord. And they get to you, and they say, okay, it's your turn. And you're like, well, I can't do that because I confess that Jesus is Lord. And you're like, no, brother, Caesar's Lord. They got the sword. I don't know if they got the hat, but they got all that stuff, and they're there. And they're like, no, you got to come over here. Jesus, uh, Jesus ain't Lord. Caesar's Lord. Like, now, come on. And they're like, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. And it's like, we're going to give you one more chance to come over here and confess that Caesar is Lord. And you say, I can't do it, and they kill you. It's a little bit bigger commitment, don't you think, than saying a few words and crying a few tears? But that's what we've done, isn't it? We're not honest with people. All you have to do is A, B, C. What we should be telling people is this. Following Jesus will cost you everything. Could cost you your life. But it's worth it. And it's not something to be entered into lightly. It's not something to be entered into frivolously. It's not something that you're not even going to enter into unless the power of the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and draws you to him anyway. But we don't need to simplify the gospel to the point to where we make it that gospel instead of that gospel. Amen? Because how many times have you heard this testimony? Well, I grew up in church, and when I was seven years old, I gave my heart to Jesus at vacation Bible school. And I turned 13 years old, and I lived like a demon for 20 years. And I didn't follow Christ. I beat my dog, beat my wife, beat everybody. And I smoked this, that, and the other, and drank this, that, and the other, and I had no desire for church or anything else. But 20 years later, I redecorated my life and gave it to the Lord. Right? And you look at Scripture, 
and you listen to their testimony and you think it's not lining up at all. I'll tell you what happened. They had an experience like this at seven years old. And it was cheap. It didn't mean nothing. But they thought they was on the right path. And then the fruit of their wickedness came to bear when they were 13, 14 years old. And they lived a normal life as a lost sinner. And then when they finally got confronted with the truth of the gospel, then they got on that path. It wasn't a redecoration, rededication, whatever you want to call it. No, they got saved. They got born again. The problem I have is with the people that set them on that path instead of telling them the truth and sent them on that path. How many times have you heard that testimony? I hear it all the time. Some of y'all probably have that testimony. And you're thinking, man, wouldn't my life have been so much easier if somebody had just been real with me and told me how much it really was going to cost me, what it was really all about. You know what Jesus says about following him? Let me read to you. It's, it's later on in Luke chapter 14. We're almost done. <clears throat> this is what Jesus says. This ain't what I said. Now listen to this. When you hear this, you think Jesus has lost his mind, but this is what he told everybody. He says, now great crowds accompanied him. So remember, the crowds came. Jesus always could draw a big crowd. And it says that Jesus turned to the big crowd. Now, like for us, if we were going to have a big event here at the church, and we're trying to get the people of the community to come in, and we finally get the crowd, you know, whatever you've done to get the crowd here, the crowd shows up, you're going to turn around, and at most places they'll do something like this. They'll say, all right, and they'll do a little deal, and raise your hand, say this prayer, walk the front, side in the car, whatever. Look what Jesus did. Luke chapter 14, this is what Jesus said. says that he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me, so if you want to be my follower, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. How many of y'all have that as your message when the crowds show up? Is that not crazy? That's exactly what Jesus told him. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Sounds like a whole lot bigger commitment to me, don't it, to you? He goes on, he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me. If you're not willing to go and die, you cannot be my disciple. So he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower and does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see him begin to mock him, saying, the man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends for a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. I ain't what I said. That's what Jesus said. Seems very narrow, doesn't it? Seems very difficult, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like a lot of what we hear in a lot of places nowadays, does it? And here's the deal. We're seeing the fruit of this because we haven't been teaching this. And I'm not talking about this church specifically. I'm talking about Church of America. 
We've not been preaching this. We've been preaching this. And the results are attendance on the decline, atheism on the rise, people don't care. Why? It's not that they hadn't, it ain't that there's not a church on every corner, they ain't, they ain't heard. No, they don't care because what we're giving them is something that don't mean nothing. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Now look, I ain't saying go home this afternoon and tell your mom and daddy how I just want to tell y'all I hate y'all. <laughs> you know, come Father's Day, <laughs> get that card. I just want to tell you how much I hate you, brother. You know, you, you know, I don't think Jesus is meaning that we got to go out there and start hating everybody. Here's what I think what Jesus is talking about when he says you got to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your brothers and sisters and your children and all this stuff. I think what he means is this, is that your commitment to him and your love and affection and your desire to serve him should be so central in your life and so focused in your life that your commitment and love and affection for everybody else looks like hatred in comparison to your love and affection for Jesus. It's not that you hate him, but that you love him so much more that it all pales in comparison to your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That he is number one in your life and everything else is secondary. Everything else pales in comparison to your service to him. All right. Challenge, and we're going to be done. Challenge, a couple more things, and we're going to be out here. Verse 24 and 25, this is the challenge that you have. For whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Here's the challenge. We live in a world that's totally against God. It's totally trying to take our focus away from God, trying to pull us in a different direction. The challenge to living in this world is to daily say, you know what, I'm going to put my focus on him. My focus on it, not focus on the world, because this world will distract you and will pull you in different directions. And we have to get up daily focused on him. It ain't enough to show up to church once a week, drop a little money in the plate. You have to get up every day and say, I focus my life, I commit myself to you, Lord. I'm going to serve you today, Lord, every day, every moment of every day. That's the challenge, because this world is fighting against you. And then we finish with the command in verse 26. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Are we ashamed of Jesus? Are we ashamed of his gospel? Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here's a challenge I want to leave you with this morning is to become a student of the gospel. To become so focused on knowing the gospel. That was something that I had to deal with several years ago because I got to thinking about, you know, I was doing student ministry and I thought, I wonder if these kids even know what the gospel is. And I remember getting everybody a piece of paper and saying, right, I want you to write down, give me a definition of the gospel. And then collecting the papers and thinking like, I don't know if these kids even, I don't even know if they're saved. How, how do you not even know what they got? But they didn't, didn't know. And I tell you, y'all can challenge yourself and do this if you want to. Just put the paper out. Have everybody write down a, give me a definition, simplified definition of the gospel. And you'll probably be shocked at the answers that you get. So my challenge to you is become a student of the gospel. Don't just assume that everybody understands what the gospel is. I can give you a very closed, you know, very small version. I can give you a very expanded version. But basically the gospel is God is holy and perfect and creator of all things. He's in control. He's boss. He's king. And he created everything that you see and he also created you. And he loved you and formed you out of the dirt and breathed life into you and loved you but 
we, his creation, mankind, sinned against him. And in open rebellion, raised a fist of rebellion against God and has rebelled and sinned against the, our creator and, and has no desire to serve him. But God loves us so much, even though we've rebelled against him and we've sinned against him, we've gone away from him. But God loves us so much that he sent his only son, his perfect one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and live the perfect life that you could not live and die the death that you deserved on the cross in order that he may reconcile you to God through the blood that he shed on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit that he has sent to draw people to himself. And the Bible says that if we'll listen to the gospel preached, that we'll receive that and the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and, and bring us from death to life and draw us to him and if we'll cry out to him in repentance and faith that he'll save us now we could talk all day long about the gospel but you need to have a basic understanding and you need to be a champion of the gospel and then we also need to be people that not only know the gospel we be people that sow the gospel amen alright I'm going to let y'all go I went a little late, but y'all started late. I was here at 20, 15 till. I was here when none of y'all here. I was in here by myself. I think it's two of y'all here. There wasn't nobody else here. I got here at like 11.05, and here y'all start rolling in here. So we're a little bit late, but y'all late because y'all made me late. So that's just the way it is. All right, so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to turn the service back over to Scott, and he can close out however he wants to. Thank y'all so much for letting me share with you. I tell you, I hope this challenges you. Every time I hear this passage, every time I think about this, it challenges me to think about, okay, what... What kind of message am I presenting to people? Am I being honest with people and saying, hey, look, if you want to follow Christ, it's going to be hard? Or am I just saying, hey, all you got to do is say the prayer, do the deal, sign the card, jump in the water, and, and that's it. And then, and then we see people leaving de living defeated lives because they've never been born again. Or are we telling people, hey, look, you're going to follow Christ, it's what it's going to cost you, and, and I'm praying for you, and if I can help you in any way, and I'm here to encourage you. What kind of gospel light bearers are we? And I want to challenge you to think about what we talked about this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to have to come this morning. Pray, God, that your word will challenge us, change our hearts, make us more like you. God, I pray we'll become champions of the gospel. Lord, that we'll not, uh, that we'll not water down the gospel, we'll not uh, change the gospel, we'll be open and honest with people when we share the gospel. We'll not point them to a wide gate and a wide way and an easy way but we'll point them to the narrow gate and the difficult way and, 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 and let them know that, that following you is, is not going to be easy it's not going to be something that's going to be uh, always uh, glamorous and exciting but it's going to be very difficult full of suffering but it's worth it and Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit will go before us as we proclaim your truth and you will uh, take dead people and bring them to life uh, spiritually and that you will draw them to yourself and that you will save them through the power of your Holy Spirit and pray, pray Lord just help us to be messengers of this truth and we'll just be faithful to give you all the praise and glory and honor for everything good that's accomplished and we ask all this in Jesus name Amen